the variables. Do you know what the variables in these equations are, Jack? No. Us. We're the variables. People. We think, we reason, we make choices, we have free will. We can change our destiny. Hello, everyone. Matt here, and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today, I'll be looking at episode 514, entitled The Variable. This is the 100th episode of the series, woohoo! And there are 21 to go. Uh, before we start, a quick feedback reminder. If you'd like to share your feedback, you can call the listener line, 732-707-1815. Leave a message with the Google robots who mind it 24-7. You can leave a comment on the webpage, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. You can send an email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. And last, but certainly not least, you can say hello to me on Twitter, where I am Looking Back Lost. And indeed, we have a quick message from friend of the show, Dan Mulderlock, who uh, wonders if uh, Kate was helping Roger Linus because she feels a little guilty about Wayne. I think that certainly is a, uh, you know, a, a more than plausible feedback. Uh, can we ever truly know what it is that, uh, that propels Kate? I think part of the fact of her, uh, you know, the great flaws that she, uh, that she has in her as a character, not that she's a, uh, you know, a poorly written character, but I think that, uh, you know, there's always that, there's always the man issue circling around her, whether it's searching for, for a proper father, a proper, uh, you know, a proper, uh, romantic, uh, mate or, or whatever it might be. So thank you for your feedback there, Dan, who is, uh, who is uh, quite the presence on Twitter. I encourage you all to follow Dan Mulderlock, of course, Locke spelled like the show and, uh, because he's a jolly old fellow. Anyhow, with that, let's now get into the Wikipedia summary for this episode, 514, The Variable. In flashbacks, at a young age, Eloise asks Daniel if he knows what destiny is, then tells him he has a special gift, his brilliant mind, that his destiny relies on this. After Daniel graduates from Oxford University, Eloise gives him a new journal as a gift and again reminds him of his destiny. Meanwhile, Daniel has received an enormous research grant from Charles Widmore, who Daniel does not know is actually his father. Years later, following the crash of Flight 815, Daniel has suffered severe psychological effects from performing experiments on himself. He has lost his mental acuity and now lives with a caretaker. While watching the news coverage of the discovery of 815 wreckage at the Sunda Trench, Daniel is visited by Charles Widmore, who tells him he faked the found wreckage and that the real plane actually landed on the island. Charles invites Daniel to go to the island, which Charles claims will cure his psychological problems. Eloise later visits Daniel and further encourages him to go to the island. In the 2007 portion of the story, following the events of Dead is Dead, Desmond is brought to a hospital having been shot by Ben. While waiting, his wife Penny is visited by Eloise, who apologizes for involving Desmond in everything that has happened. Penny later visits Desmond, who is expected to make a full recovery. 
Charles, who is, of course, also Penny's father, speaks with Eloise outside the hospital, but does not visit his daughter. And in 1977, following the events of the previous episode, Some Like It Hoff, Daniel has returned to the island after having spent three years in Ann Arbor, Michigan, conducting research for the Dharma Initiative. He has returned because Jack, Kate, and Hurley have managed to travel back in time and become part of the initiative. After learning from Jack that they were sent to the island by Daniel's mother, Eloise, Daniel visits Dr. Pierre Chang at the Orchid Station and warns him of a catastrophic event that is to occur at the Swan Station in six hours. Dr. Chang does not believe Daniel when he says he is from the future, and Miles does not affirm Dan's story, even after Daniel informs Chang that Miles is his son from the future. At the barracks, Sawyer, Juliet, Jin, Hurley, and Miles decide that they will flee to the survivor's original beach, abandoning Dharma. But Kate and Jack and Daniel decide to visit the island's native population, the Others, and get help to prevent the impending disaster. They arouse suspicion from Dharma's head of research, Radzinski, while trying to steal weapons, and a gunfight ensues. The survivors were able to escape. However, Radzinski brings his team to Sawyer and Juliet's house, where they find Dharma member Phil tied up. Meanwhile, Daniel explains to Jack and Kate that he intends to detonate the hydrogen bomb buried on the island in 1954 in order to prevent the construction of the Swan, which in turn will ensure that Oceanic Flight 815 never crashes on the island, which means it will never become visible to Widmore's team, so he never sends the freighter, which brings himself and Charlotte. Therefore, Charlotte doesn't die. Daniel enters the other's camp with his gun drawn and demands that Richard take him to see Eloise. Instead, Eloise shoots Daniel in the back as they argue, a move which provokes hostility from Richard. Before Daniel dies, he tells her that he is her son. With that, let's now get into my thoughts about the episode. An episode that I think is not great, but people were looking for the constant part two and get the variable. And uh, no complaints out of me. I guess that's the, the shortest uh, the, the shortest way to say uh, to say my thoughts. Anyhow, the episode opens with a recap of Daniel odds and ends, and also shows Ben's attack on Desmond and Penny. The episode proper opens with Desmond being taken to the hospital. Penny truly looking overwhelmed and shocked. Fantastic acting out of her in, I should mention, a scene that I had forgotten uh, happened. Uh, I perhaps even was uh, was dismissive of the attack on Desmond. Obviously, he doesn't die. We know this. He makes it to season six and saves the day yet again. But um, I uh, I had forgotten that at least for the course of this episode, he pays the price of, uh, of Ben's attack. Uh, anyhow, you know, I'll repeat that uh, the acting out of Penny is just absolutely fantastic. And uh, they even coax a great performance out of the curly-haired baby Charlie calling out, Daddy! Uh, with that, there's a quick cut to many hours later. Penny and Charlie are still waiting in the waiting room, and Eloise appears. She says that her son is at fault, and I think at this point, Penny gives the natural question that I think many first-time viewers asked, even us bright ones. It's kind of the knee-jerk reaction question. Your son is Benjamin Linus? Eloise responds with indignation, saying, No, it's Daniel Faraday. Uh, with that, there's a perfect, perfect mix of kind of shocked, revelatory music 
or perhaps not revelatory, but revealing music. Uh, and with that, we, you know, mixed with that music is the flashback whoosh, which takes us to a black screen over which just a second later appears 30 years ago. Wonderful opportunity to really say, you know, this is going to be, uh, this is going to be a grand episode. It doesn't perhaps quite live up to that grandness, but it certainly is setting the table for ambition. And there's no doubt that it's an ambitious episode, uh, and certainly one of amazing scale. It's one of the most, um, I think it's the you know the the quickest episode that we have experienced. Now, how do you measure quickest? I don't know. Um, certainly, my feeling has has been uh, watching this and comparing it to my memories of other episodes. That it just it flies, it races, and generates tons of stuff. This is not an action, action, action episode per se, although there's plenty of that. There's just, you know, it just, it moves, it books. Anyhow, 30 years ago is the end of uh, last week, which is to say last week's episode. It's Dan getting out of the sub, having seen the Dharma photo of the 1977 recruits. We cut to Dan speedily knocking on Jack's door, um, because Dan is there to see Jack. Uh, and there's some fantastic acting out of Matthew Fox, who looks truly sleepy. He's truly unable to kind of get going and face who it is that that that's you know that that has woken him up. That is at the door. What's going on? Uh, with that, uh, Dan delivers some exposition about Eloise, saying that coming to the island was fate. But Dan says no, she was wrong. Apparently, that's shocking enough to end the act. It is a, a lame act end. It's just not great. And there's this weird pattern in this episode of, particularly in the first uh, two or three act ends, it's just a little bleh. It's not, you know, I know not all, you know, not every, not every ending, whether it's of an act or an episode, can be, you know, he wasn't on the manifest. But uh, it's just a bit bleh. Anyhow, we get the title card, then a brown-haired boy playing piano while his blonde British mom uh, watches with tears. They don't tease the mystery. It's young Dan and young mom, the latter uh, of which pulls up a chair and starts talking about destiny. Get it? Because, you know, Dan was talking about destiny in the teaser act, and now Eloise is. Eloise talks about keeping Dan on his path, a math science path of joylessness um, and mom says no no more piano the implication is no more joy dan talks about making time get it because they're time travelers uh, but mom says no such thing exists irony irony which is especially ironic given i mean i think that we're meant to this is the scene where mom has decided that the man that she shot in 1977 uh, is her son. And I know she's told that at the end. I know there's discussion about that, but I think that this is where she decides to accept it. That it's not some weird thing. That it's not that smoke monster. It's not Jacob. It's not whatever. It's not something that could kind of be explained, that it is what it is. And she has committed to the higher calling of, of her god, the island and she's committed to the idea that this little boy who is talented at the piano must 
get on a path that will take him to his death. We don't know it at the time. It you know it certainly is the the cause of her tears, I'm sure. Um, and you know we'll talk more about that death in in due course, of course. With that, we head back to the present day story, at least the 1977 present one. Uh, it's all relative, as we keep getting reminded. Dan and Miles split, leaving Jack in the dust. Last week's stories collide as Jack goes to see Sawyer, who uh, tries to brush Jack off and then brings him in on the Phil's secret. He's got a man in his closet tied up. Not that way. Anyhow, at this point, again, the story is zipping. It's racing, and it feels so much faster than the average story. The credits aren't even over yet, and we're just, we're just moving, booking through this episode. Daniel and Miles uh, end up at the Hatch build site where Miles sees the start of the season. Remember that with uh, you know being down in the uh, you know being down there, the discussion of radiation. He hears Chang talking about the uh, that electromagnetism behind the wall, and Dan sneaks along to bump into him. Now at the top of the season, it looked like Dan was merely a worker bee there. Now he's part of this vaunted Ann Arbor team back at the island. That he sneaks to the wall after bumping into Chang seems like maybe shoehorning in the previous scene into the current story. Not, I'm not sure of that, but I kind of get the impression that they were going to have Dan there hearing those things and then weren't quite sure how they were going to get there and then reached a point where they didn't want Dan necessarily in the day-to-day story, so Dan is gone, and then they explain it with him you know, having gone to Ann Arbor. So it feels like a slightly imperfect fit, not a rough fit, not, you know, certainly isn't the stupid uh, outrigger canoe business, but, you know, it's just a little, little off. Anyhow, Dan hops into Chang's elevator car and talks about the forthcoming building uh, of the hatch and the accident, how does he know this? Because he's from the future. It's with that that they end the act, and it's another fair to poor act ender. Yes, it's shopping, uh, shocking rather that, that uh, someone is breaking their cover, but it's such a zippy, unpredictable season that it really doesn't feel that incredibly shocking. Anyhow, after the act break, Chang explains away the crazies in a very believable way. Dan's overheard time travel talk and is making fun. Dan persists, uh, and I think this is almost uh, a a more uh, powerful tension-building moment than the previous act break, because a prolonged look at the facts should bear him out that he is from the future. He tries to show Chang his notebook, and uh, Miles interrupts, passing it off as the the submarine drugs. Uh, But with that... Dan ups the ante right squarely into the heart of lost territory. Miles is your son. Excuse me. Think about it. A Chinese man named Miles, the same name as your baby, shows up with me from the future. You you really think this is all coincidence? Is this true? No. Please, stay away from me. Dr. Chang. Dr. Chang. Hey, hey, are you out of your mind? 
What are you doing? I'm just making sure that your father does what he's supposed to do. And what's that? You'll see. What we have there at the end is slightly annoying. It's cryptic to be sure. It's that you'll see. It's the show clearly opting to punt the ball, not due to baddies suddenly attacking or the, the, the flight cabin losing pressure, but because Dan and the writers say so. With that, there's the flashback to graduation day at Charlie's Church. Oops, I mean Oxford. It's the same Hawaii location. Dan shows mom his girlfriend. And I have to admit, it it went so quickly that the fact that the girlfriend is... Uh, well, it's later pointed out by mom that that's the research assistant. We're supposed to then match up that it's the research assistant who is uh, uh, comatose or brain dead um, uh, in some of the previous Dan episodes that we've seen. Um, so there's... You know, it's supposed... It, I don't know that she was a big enough blip on the radar in in that previous episode where we where we go here and go oh as soon as we hear the name oh my goodness that's 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 the one. Um, that said, everything doesn't need to be a big uh, you know a big reveal. Uh, it's a nice little bit of character shading. It it, it, it helps explain Dan in uh, in uh, terms of his background. So no complaints. Uh, <laughs> And indeed, speaking of the girlfriend, she's hardly around. She's quickly dispatched uh, due to mom saying that there's a lunch reservation for two. Uh, I'll mention as well that as they get to lunch, uh, that Dan's long-haired wig is a typical lost wig, which is to say it's not that great. Anyhow, their, their lunch is a color-by-numbers scene at first, Dan wanting love, and mom pushing for his monastic dedication to math and science, something he repeats that she's always done. Thing gets, uh, things get interesting when he mentions that he's received this grant, 8.15 million pounds, I believe it was, get it? Uh, from some industrialist named, wait for it, Widmore, Charles Widmore. I think it's meant to be, it's meant to sound cute. The fact that that ends up being dad later on um, just speaks for itself. It speaks for Widmore looking out for his estranged uh, son uh, in, uh, in in a rather positive way. We see Widmore in this episode not as a villain and not as a mastermind, but as someone who is uh, concerned on a personal level, but certainly more Widmore in a bit. With that, Mom dramatically walks out, but not before giving him a present that journal that we've been seeing this whole time. The inscription in it is, no matter what, I always love you, mother. Obviously, that's meant to be a bit of, oranic, uh, of ironic foreshadowing, considering what dear old mum will be doing at the end of the episode. Um, and it's just the briefest little look into, into her thinking in terms of her dedication uh, to this, you know, to, to, to the Lord God Island justified or not i don't uh, i don't know i don't know that it ever uh, is answered by the series whether whether jacob and all that the island represents is worth it i mean i think we're meant to believe it is the fact that you know the the man of the people hurley is the one who takes over the fact that the fact that jacob is hedged as good and the man of black is hedged as evil 
um, you know, suggests that the island is indeed a good place. It's the, the, the best that we can be. It's, you know, it's all of that. But, uh, you know, we kind of veer into the background of, of Eloise's thinking in this episode. Uh, and not with much reflection because we only know the full power of her thinking at the very, very end. Uh, but it's, you know, I, I don't, I don't have any answers other than it's just, it's curious that, uh, ah, she's so dedicated. She's so dedicated to the notion that she must ultimately kill her son by way of sending him to the island and sending, you know, which will then result in him uh, being sent back. Anyhow, with that, the flashback is over and Sawyer is holding an 815 powwow about the Phil situation. Sawyer spells out the options, use the sub to escape, or head into the jungle. I think we can predict where it'll end up, even before Jin and Hurley both vote to stay. With that, there's a knock on the door, and it's Dan and Miles. The latter declares that he's on a critical, albeit unspoken, mission, and says he needs to find the hostiles, specifically Dear Old Mum, because she's the only one who can get them back. That's what takes us to the act break, uh, including a bit too long bit of uh, Giacchino, dun, 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 dun. It just, again, it's a bit drawn out. It's a bit kind of soap opera-y of, you know, oh my goodness, what a shocking thing. It's a bit of an, an anemic end yet again. After the act break, we're in familiar territory. It's Dan in 2004 crying at the found wreckage of 815, presumably, uh, and he's crying for reasons that he cannot explain. For those playing along at home, his hair at the start of the scene, shot seasons ago, is different than it will be later in the scene. Anyhow, there's another knock at the door, and the mysterious benefactor arrives in the form of Widmore. In this scene in particular, though, for the for the season as a, for the, the the episode as a whole, there's some fantastic acting out of Dan. He's mumbly and fragmented, and as we learn in the scene, suffering from having experimented on himself, having graduated from rats, and also having been dismissed from Oxford. Luckily, despite being so down and out, the next job opportunity has just walked through the door. No, I, I'm sorry, I can't. I don't think I, I can... Did I say something to upset you? It's this plane crash. I don't know why it's bothering me so much. It's just so sad. They're dead. Daniel, what have I told you? They're not dead. What have I told you? The plane was a fake, an elaborate, expensive fake. How would you know that? Because I put it there. Whoa. Whitmore has such a kindness in this scene, as we'll later learn its paternal kindness. He wants Dan's mind to work and mind to be healed on the island. Widmore's paternal link is hinted at. 
He says he's old friends with Eloise, and, of course, that creepy music suggests more than friends. Flashback over, Sawyer et al. receive a little update that Dan and we met Eloise as 1954 Ellie, and with that, we're off to the races. Jack reminds everyone that Kate knows where the hostiles are, and right in the middle of the speeding pace of the episode, for a moment, just a moment, we have a breather. Sawyer is desperate for everyone to stay put, to try and find the old normal. Juliet, his proverbial and literal better half, is shown thinking for a moment, then gives Kate the sonic fence code. Juliet has figured out that there's only a new normal now, and the days in Dharmaville are very, very numbered. With that little breather over, Jack, Kate, and Dan are off to the jungle, with Miles, Sawyer, Juliet, and Hurley staying put. Touchingly, Sawyer has already figured out what's next, their old beach. The scene wraps up with Juliet fighting off tears while Sawyer holds her hand. Certainly some an affirmation of what we already know and also a little bit of a uh, oh uh, uh, a sweetening of the sadness to, to come for those two. Anyhow, Kate, Jack, and Dan are headed to the motor pool, but Dan leaves the group for a moment to, to follow through on a scene uh, that we've already heard about. Not allowed to have chocolate before dinner. It's okay, sweetheart. I won't tell. My name's Charlotte. What's yours? I'm Daniel. I'm new here. Listen. Do you know Dr. Chang? Uh-huh. Yeah. Hopefully really soon, Dr. Chang is going to ask a bunch of people to get on the submarine and leave the island. When he does, you and your mommy, you're going to have to leave. In case what I do doesn't work, you cannot be here. You have to leave. <laughs> I tried to avoid telling you this. I didn't think I could change things. But maybe I can. Again, fantastic acting out of Jeremy Davies' Dan. His herky-jerky presentation of him as partially undone and doing what he thinks is best for the woman that he loves. At the motor pool, our heroes are locked and loaded and just about to head off. When emotionally locked and loaded Rosinski shows up, there's a bit of a Mexican standoff until the shooting starts, and surprisingly to me, Rosinski is hit, albeit above the shoulder. We can't ever forget, of course, that he's got a date with another bullet in the swan. Dan's been grazed too, and after some shooting back and forth and Jack blowing up the stereotypical fuel cans in you know glorious fashion to give them cover, they get to the jeep complete with lots of shaky camera and glass flying, and they escape. The act ends with Radzinski yelling, Sound the alarm! And it's the best act break yet for the episode. Afterwards, adult, mentally hurt Dan is playing piano, and mom of the year, Eloise, appears to tell him to say, 
yes. It's a surprising little moment for first-time viewers, though she explains why. It could possibly make him better. Here we have more just wonderful, sad, confused acting from Dan. Uh, it's a reminder that uh, you know of that halting character that was introduced to us uh, way back at the end of uh, at the end of the third season and beginning of fourth. Dan asks if uh, going to the island will make her proud of him, and her response is yes. At that moment, there's a myriad of emotions uh, being held just just behind her face by Finola O'Flanagan, the actress, and it's a testament to her years and skill uh, in the acting profession. It's just, it's, it's her sealing the deal of her son's fate at, at her own hands. It's, it's such a knowing look, and it's just, it's, it's, it's the, the definition of acting. Of course, Dan agrees to go, and uh, the path that we are on is continuing along. With that, the flashback is over, and they're at the sonic uh, fence where Dan and the writers apparently need to remind us again that his next scar is new in the present, so any one of us can die. That's some foreshadowing for you. Back in Dharmaville, Sawyer and Juliet are packing while Phil bellyaches in the background. The scene here is all about their eyes, their love, their emotion. The fact that after three years of happiness, everything appears to be falling apart. There's a quick cut to Hurley and Jin returning, but not before Radzinski and his goons, dressed in black overalls to make them look rather like the Dharma Gestapo, uh, they get to Sawyer's house first. Uh, you know, Sawyer's house, of course, being the place that has a fill in the closet. Sawyer tries to deflect them outside. But after Stu declares that the new recruits are in on it, he hears, then finds, Phil. Sometimes being the most paranoid guy in the group does pay off. The tension of the scene is all about how Sawyer and Juliet are going to ninja kick or outsmart or overpower the three armed baddies. But instead they're just told to get on the ground, and they do. And the story moves on. This, of course, being this incredibly tense moment, so what's the story do? Moves on at the height of tension. Thank you, Lost. Kate, Jack, and Dan stop at a bend in the creek, supposedly for water, but it's actually an opportunity for the writers to give uh, the story a breather in order to let Dan explain everything, and it's a big everything. In about four hours, the Dharma folks at the Swan Works side, they're going to... And I drill into the ground and accidentally tap into a massive pocket of energy. The result of the release of this energy would be catastrophic. So, in order to contain it, they're going to have to cement the entire area in like Chernobyl. And this containment, the place they built over it, I believe you called it the hatch. The swan hatch. Because of this one accident. These people are going to spend the next 20 years keeping that energy at bay by pressing a button. A button that your friend Desmond will one day fail to push. And that will cause your plane, Oceanic 815, to crash on this island. 
And because your plane crashed, a freighter would be sent to this island, a freighter I was on and Charlotte was on and so forth. This entire chain of events, it's going to start happening this afternoon. But we can change that. I've studied relativistic physics my entire life. One thing emerged over and over. Can't change the past. Can't do it. Whatever happened, happened, right? But then, I finally realized. I had been spending so much time focused on the constants, I forgot about the variables. Do you know what the variables in these equations are, Jack? No. Us. We're the variables. People. We think, we reason, we make choices, we have free will. We can change our destiny. I think I can negate that energy under this wand. I think I can destroy it. If I can, then that hatch will never be built and your plane, your plane will land just like it's supposed to. As I started to say last week, this Dan storyline, that speech right there, it's setting up the rest of the season and the fake out of next season, the flash sideways. It's also a moment to reflect on the show in chronological order, to get a series of events that we've only half had set out for us uh, here put in proper and full order. And how is Dan going to disperse that energy? Well, he needs a hydrogen bomb. Hey, we've seen one of those too. Just like Lindelof said in Jughead, you know, they're not going to introduce a, uh, a hydrogen bomb without blowing it up. It's Chekhov's hydrogen bomb, if you will. Uh, with that, the revelation of needing a hydrogen bomb, we have the best act break of the episode yet. Though it does, you know, we get there with a long look from Kate to Jack and Jack to Kate that allows them to stretch that act end out. After the break, we're right where we left off, at the start of the show where Penny is shocked that Eloise is mom to Daniel Faraday. We get some recap. That's the man who told Desmond to come to L.A. Uh, just as Eloise says she doesn't know what will happen to Desmond, the nurses arrive to say that Desmond is fine. It's a speedy racing episode, and it almost needs a break it cries out for the break and all its speed and all its exposition and all its advancing all these storylines it needs a break to just stop and remind us what the show is all about hi hi oh, I lost you I promised you, Penny. I promised you. I'd never leave you again. Faith and love. An important reminder, particularly where, you know, where the show uh, will take us in season six. My goodness, where the show will take us at the end of this season and uh, where the show will conclude in uh, 21 episodes time. Anyhow, at the end of the scene there, uh, we have the opposite of faith and love. Eloise leaves and runs into Widmore, asking about how Desmond is doing. It spills out rather quickly, and 
without the Giacchino accoutrements that Widmore is also Dan's father. Eloise gives him a slap in the face, since she's so darned attached to her son, and leaves. See that bit of irony there? Because she's so attached to him. Well, you know what's going to happen next. The story moves back to 1977, and our trio arrives at Camp Otherton, where Dan just wanders right in with a gun in hand. Initially, I think that as first-time viewers were concerned that he'll be shot, which seems awfully soon, awfully risky, awfully surprising, uh, but also awfully kind of in-your-face. Anyhow, he's asking about Eloise, who Richards uh, says isn't there. Dan, at this point, is oddly direct, oddly dangerous the entire time, and he, of course, is about to pay for it. The hydrogen bomb that I told you people to bury, where is it? Listen to me, lower your gun, and we'll talk, okay? Nobody has to get hurt here. Just put the gun down. I'm going to give you three seconds. One. Don't do this. Two. Why did you do that? He got a gun on you. He wasn't going to shoot me, Eloise. and bad fathers on the show before. Absent mothers and disappointing fathers. We've had an episode whose multiple act ends have close-ups that last too long. But the raw emotion of we, the audience, realizing that Dan was killed by his mother and him making her realize it, and then his light fading away as he puts it all together that she knew when she sent him back that she would kill her own son. It's perhaps the most terrible, most horrific, most dark ending of the series. It's in line with the show as a whole, to be true. Uh, I, I don't mean terrible in the sense of some sort of uh, ineffective dramatic presentation, but for my money anyway, it just leaves me with a feeling that the show has dared to dared to take us uh, to a place where we are emotionally dead uh, or as dead as we can be from, you know, from an action-adventure sci-fi ensemble drama that is usually great fun. Again, no complaints on my end. It's just an episode that I think leaves us with this weighty, uh, unpalatable, uh, unremovable, deadening shock uh, in, our, in our dramatic pursuit for the week. Now that rather uh, somber note, let's take a look at Lostpedia for the bits and pieces I have missed. I start out by saying that this episode, of course, was billed by ABC 
as the 100th episode of Lost. In the United States, 100 episodes is generally considered a significant milestone for a series, and it's usually the point at which it becomes viable for syndication. There are exceptions to the 100-episode rule, however, and Lost was one. It had begun its first-run syndication in September 2008 on the American Sci-Fi Channel's sci- uh, pardon me, the American Cable Channel's Sci-Fi and G4. Uh, Lost, of course, has several two-hour season finales, and all of which are considered uh, for syndication purposes and this podcast as uh, individual hours. Also, says Lostpedia, the original broadcast of this episode, April 29th, 2009, was coincidentally uh, President Barack Obama's 100th day in office. ABC aired Obama's press conference for the event immediately preceding the episode. And I can tell you, dear listeners, uh, I'll tell you in a nonpartisan manner that, uh, of course, as a, as a uh, you know, intelligent and concerned citizen of the land, I, uh, you know, I of course watched that uh, that press conference, uh, and while taking great attention to to the the, the state of uh, of the republic and the president's uh, responses and and plans, I think we were all together. We at least we on the east coast of the United States in uh, making sure that Mr. Obama wrapped up in time so that we could, uh, you know, have. Uh, <laughs> have whatever wrap-up needed to be done by uh, the, the, the network news anchors and then send us off immediately to, uh, to uh, the night's episode of Lost, which uh, I had completely forgotten about until reading this little factoid that I, I absolutely just have this memory of saying, all right, Barry, good stuff here, but let's, let's wrap it up. 8.55, time to, time to send it on over to, uh, to uh, you know, back to ABC to put our episode of Lost on. Also from Lostpedia, this is a trivia-rich episode. Uh, This is the first and only time in the entire series that Hurley and Daniel see each other. Go figure. Um, Also, in the scene where Daniel cries in front of the television set, depicting the uh, recovered 815 and Charles comes to visit him, the exact same comic sits on Daniel's couch as was used in Richard's test on young John, John Locke in flashback. Also from Lostpedia, Daniel is the seventh character to die in their centric episode, the others being Shannon, Anna Lucia, Echo, Nikki, Paolo, and Locke. This is the last episode of the series, as we continue through the trivia, to feature flashbacks interspersed with on-island action and focused on only a single character. Follow the Leader has no flashbacks, the incident features flashbacks from multiple characters, and much of season six featured flash sideways instead. The last two episodes to feature flashbacks, Ab Eterno and Across the Sea, broke from the traditional format and were mostly in flashback. And as we start to wrap up the trivia here, accepting Juliet's flashback in the generally Locke-focused Incident Part 2, this is the final flashback episode of the series to not feature Jacob. And last but not least, this is the last episode of the season and the series as a whole to feature events which take place off-island in present time. Whew. So with that, as we clock into what's been a, uh, a, a hefty and I think well, uh, well-traveled podcast episode, despite the uh, cold that I am fighting, I hope it hasn't been uh, too terribly uh, difficult in your ears, Anyhow, let's look ahead to next week. Next week, 
will actually be a uh, an opportunity to do something different. Uh, I will be, since we have now crossed the the hundredth episode of the podcast. Yes, there's been some of the season previews and whatnot, but the meat and potatoes of the podcast is, of course, talking about the individual episodes. Uh, I will be sitting down with uh, with uh, someone in which we will discuss uh, the podcast at a hundred episodes, where we're up to kind of take a look at the last uh, twenty-one episodes to go, not in some sort of preview uh, fashion. But uh, just kind of take an opportunity to take stock of the podcast, to hear some of your feedback listeners, including some of the wonderful comments that have been left on iTunes, uh, which is uh, a, a source of feedback that I have, uh, I have not shared uh, for, for no good reason in particular uh, in far too long. So an opportunity for some of those comments uh, to, be, to be addressed. There were some questions along with the glowing reviews and the five stars clicked. Um, also talk about uh, you know where uh, where the future of uh, this uh, podcasting effort might go after it uh, concludes on eight fifteen of this year. That is, of course, using the American style because there is no fifteenth month. But anyhow, August fifteenth when this podcast concludes, talking about uh, the lead up to that in the future afterwards. Of course, after that, we'll resume our normal uh, our normal review of episodes in the last uh, my goodness in the last three episodes of the season 515 follow the leader 516 incident part one and 517 incident part two and with that the home stretch there season six and uh you know that uh, that final lap around the uh, around the island so with that everybody thank you as always for listening it is uh, so wonderful to 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 share this time each week with you and uh, I will talk to you all again next week for our kind of 100th episode uh, uh, extravaganza if I I dare call it that of course our episodes will uh, continue uh, as usual for, uh, for the foreseeable future after that so thank you everybody take care namaste on this the hundredth episode of the uh, the season, the series rather, and uh, talk to you all again next week. Bye bye. <laughs>